We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com to start winning. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me, regular guest on the show, Lucas Kaplan of Nets Republic and Nets Daily. Lucas, how are we doing? Pretty good. I mean, the Nets have beaten the Knicks. Any day when the Nets win and the Knicks lose, it's good. But when the Nets are the cause of that Knicks loss, it's even sweeter. It's even sweeter when it's a close win, too. Like, obviously, you want the Nets to blow them out, but the Knicks thought they had a chance to win this game, and they lost at the end on James Johnson free throws. Got the W tonight, 112-110 over New York. Before we jump into a quick reminder, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Now, Lucas, summarize, like, that last, like, couple minutes of the game for me. Like, what was going through your mind, like, with all of the the defensive mistakes, with the clutch buckets from KD? Like, what sticks out in those last couple minutes? It just felt like two teams that weren't, that aren't there yet, that aren't exactly where they need to be, which is, you know, fine because it's November and we're a quarter of the way through the season. And hopefully neither of their late game execution, you know, tendencies look like this in March. But that's really what it felt like to me. It's like, we all know about the Harden post defense. So why are you doubling to on Randall when Harden is guarding him to give up an open three mistakes like that? Yep. You know? Um, on the Knicks side, I bet they wish they didn't use that challenge on an obvious foul on KD. So just a lot of mistakes like that that don't necessarily ruin the quality of the game because both teams are just are playing so hard. It felt like one of those classic early season barn burners where because you're earlier in the season and even the rotations are still kind of being figured out, you have all this weird malaise and mistakes that are just part of a great game. Yeah, and I feel like that's a good summary of almost the entire game because it was just all over the place. Like, I think what they say, there was like double-digit lead changes in this one. The Nets were up 16 in the third. At one point, it felt like they were going to blow them out. The Knicks started the game hot. They made some good runs. And like you said, at the end of the game, 
just like mistakes from both teams. The one that really pops out for the Nets is like other than Bruce Brown and them not switching on that final yeah. possession where Evan Fournier got the three. But the one before that is you got James Harden taking deep step back three and the Knicks somehow get a wide open dunk in transition on that play where it's just like, come on, get back on defense at the end of the game. I know. Not not only do you have a bad offensive possession, but two of your guys are ending that possession 35 feet away from the basket. You know, yep. Katie and Harden were just passing it back and forth out there and you still don't get back. Um, I think Harden did. He got the ball, you know, on the wing and then nobody, Obi Toppin, I think, just beat everyone down the court. Yep. Um, and Obi did that a couple times tonight. Like the yeah. Nets transition defense was pretty trash in this game. And if it was better, you could argue that maybe the Nets blow them out. Yeah, and I mean, credit to Obi Toppin. That's kind of what he's been, you know, really, he's been cooking with all year. But again, the Nets have to be better in that regard. Um, it's funny, that possession that you mentioned on offense with Harden taking the deep step back three, I, we've seen that sort of stagnation a few times this year, and it just throws you back to June watching that Buck series. Um, and it's frustrating because the hamstring is not, is obviously much, much better. I mean, maybe it's, you can argue, oh, it's hampering Harden a little, which, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to, but it didn't tonight. But he's fully functional. There's no reason for possessions to look like that. Yeah, the Nets need to discover some go-to, you know, actions or just, like, moves in the in the late in the game. Because, I mean, I think a lot of teams are going to send those doubles at KD, especially if he just wants to ISO. Like, that's I would, I would do the same thing. Like, you want to force the ball out of his hand. So Harden either needs to be able to cook or they just have to have actions ready off that double team where they can just either generate an open shot or generate just, like, some type of advantage. It seems it's funny because it seems they have those actions that they like earlier in the game. Like they have the KD post up and then the Patty Mills, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge split action where yep. LaMarcus sets a flare screen for him and, and things like that. And Benbury and Bruce cutting around off that. But you're right. When it gets to the end of the game, it seems like the Nets don't have a ton of identity. And I think oftentimes we confuse or when teams talk about the identity that they have or don't have, and so far we've heard, oh, the Nets don't really have an identity yet. A huge part of that is knowing what to get into at the end of games. And that is maybe the part of the Nets identity that's, I think, suffering or missing the most. Yeah, and I think an interesting point, too, just to kind of jump on that topic, is, like, we haven't necessarily seen them late game against good teams either. Like, a lot of these late game offensive possessions are against mediocre to bad teams, and KD's going to save you in a lot of those situations. But, like, hypothetically, if it's a close game matchup with the Warriors, they're going to make life a lot more difficult than what the Knicks did tonight. No, and even and even then, the Knicks, um, as, as a good, as a mediocre to good team, I would yep. say, probably that's 60th, 70th percentile of teams, um, made life harder than they should have been able to make yep. it the Nets. Uh, you know, credit to the Knicks. They definitely had some good stretches, but it also does feel like Brooklyn made it harder on themselves at the end, um, just with some of the possessions and the getting back on defense and things like that. The optimist view, though, is that, you know, they have a lot that they should be able to improve upon, and they're still able to grind out these wins against teams they should beat, which feels like, you know, a microcosm of the season up to this point. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like, there's still plenty of time to figure this stuff out, and hopefully they should be getting some guys back possibly down the line. But um, what did you think of James Johnson being in on that last offensive possession for the Nets? Obviously hit the game-winning free throws, but I know some people were like, where was Patty on that possession or just, like, different guys being in rather than James Johnson? Right, so it was Katie Harden, uh, Johnson, Aldridge, and um, who was the fifth guy on the floor? Was it Patty? 
But I think he's in because of what I've sort of been pointing out with him all year in that of the Nets, you know, bigs, even though I guess you could argue he's more of a wing than the Millsaps and Blake Griffins of the team. He is the most comfortable with the ball in his hand. And we've kind of seen it all year in his you know fairly limited minutes. But he's the spryest getting into handoffs. You can do some of that inverted pick and roll with him handling. Um, he attacks the rim. And even if he's not the athlete that he once was, I mean, we've seen a bunch of missed layups from him this year where you're like, oh, if he could have jumped two inches higher, that's a dunk or yep. that's an easier finish. It's like the perfect example of a guy losing a step as he gets older. And yet he's still the guy that Nash wants out there because when KD or Harden predictably get doubled, when the ball gets to his hands, it doesn't stick. It doesn't really stop. And I think that more, even more than the shooting with Blake Griffin was my biggest issue with Blake. And I think ultimately more of why they benched him and why they wanted to get Millsap in there more but it's been the most positive aspect, I think, of James Johnson is that offensively, despite a relative lack of shooting, even though he had a big three in this game, he is a nice connective tissue for the offense that doesn't hog the ball, doesn't hold on to the ball, generally can keep things flowing as well as you might expect him to be able to, you know, with his skill set. Yeah, and it was Patty. It looks like James Harden, Kevin Durant, James Johnson, and Lamarcus Aldridge on that possession. And I, I definitely get what you're saying because there's two things that he does that the Nets, I would say, is probably a weakness for this team with the guys that they're missing is, one, ball handling. Like, he looks yep. comfortable with the ball in his hands. And then also, like, he can provide some rim pressure. Like you mentioned, even with that loss of step, like, we saw him have that, like, bully layup tonight. And that's just mm -hmm. something that guys aren't willing to really do. Even, you know, Blake Griffin was out there or Paul Millsap, who's still looking to kind of get into rhythm out there. So... I like what James Johnson has been doing and I'm interested to see when Nash goes to some, maybe some like true small ball lineups with him at the five. I think he has to be the five. I like that point because Millsap, who I definitely want to talk about a little later, the switching guards, like quickly Rose Burks, he survived a couple of possessions, but overall it's just not tenable. The yep. opposing offense is going to run that switch, get the switch they want every time. And, you know, you can argue, oh, we're baiting them to do exactly what we want to do, this and that. But Millsap guarding on the perimeter is ultimately not something you want. I think we've seen enough from James Johnson where even though you don't feel great about him guarding the other team's best guard, you're not – it's not too much of a panic situation. And he offers enough elsewhere where you can fully take advantage of what small ball is supposed to be, like – Small yep. ball is supposed to mean anybody on the floor can get a rebound and push it up the court. We know James Johnson can do that. We can switch one through five. You know James Johnson, of all the Nets traditional bigs, is the best at doing that. He's the best ball handler, as we've covered. So that, I think, is ultimately where he'll be. But it's nice to see he can have an impact while he's, like, the four or, in yep. some cases, like, the three. Yeah, yeah, and I think one thing James Johnson does, and I put this tweet out like a couple days, a couple games ago, is just like he knows how to play basketball. Like he just does yeah. a good job of just like finding the spots, going where he needs to go, reacting to the double teams, and just like okay, like like you said, he's kind of a connector on offense sometimes, and just he just provides also like toughness. Like he's just a yeah. scary guy on the court, and guys don't want to mess with him. And I thought he did an okay job on Julius Randle on a couple plays too. Yeah, you ultimately you don't want him at 34 to be like the primary Randall guy, but again, it's, you know, you can live with that for a few possessions. Randall, uh, a stinky New York Knicks offensive possession where nobody's moving and you just have Randall attacking Johnson 
is yeah. ultimately a win for the Nets because Johnson is not, you know, tissue paper. And I honestly think that enforcer mentality kind of overshadowed, like, this dude, as you said, is a really smart basketball player. Yeah. Like, yeah, the memes are funny, and, like, yeah, the black belt, and he's tough, and, like, he doesn't look like a guy you want to mess with, all of which is true and, you know, in some cases valuable. But that doesn't mean he's not, like, as you said, a basketball player, a smart guy, you know, yeah. a guy who knows – hey, the defenses aren't respecting my shot. I'm going to get right into a handoff with Patty Mills so my defender can't come contest his shot. You know, just things like that. And he does a nice job of setting, like, that borderline illegal screen when he does it. You know what I mean? Like, just yeah. really, like, pushing in the way where it's, like, also, like, I don't really want to run in the James Johnson. So yeah, uh, I like what he's providing the team. And it's nice to see him get his legs under him because, like, during the first two weeks of the year, it's just like anytime you saw him in the court, you're like, damn, is this guy washed? Now he kind of looks back to a resemblance of himself. Yeah, exactly. He looks just, I mean, with older guys, that's generally the accepted uh, theory that you got to give them a little time, get yep. their legs under them, run up and down the court, which I'm sure we're going to get to with Millsap. But it does look like that with Johnson. You know, the legs aren't going to come all the way back. Like he has those finishes that he gets to the other side of the rim and he just can't quite elevate enough. And you, you just have to accept those, I think, at this point, based on the positives he brings. And, you know, you can argue that even though he did make the game-winning free throws, maybe he wasn't the best option to be on the floor, even though it worked out okay. But the fact that he was able to take the ball, take it strong to the rim in a situation where the clock was running down and he just made the right play is sort of an encapsulation of how I felt about him so far. It hasn't been perfect the lineup combos maybe haven't utilized him the best, but he's just making it work out there and he's earning these minutes. Yeah. And I think a good point too, would be like, he got the ball and he was very decisive where mm -hmm. in a late game situation, you typically see guys hesitate either with, you know, then the, the driving lane closes up or they're trying to force the ball back out into a contested player. And who knows? And Nets don't even get a shot up attempt and the shot clock goes out. So um, I like to take and, you know, it worked out. And like you said, like I probably in that situation, I go more for spacing. But I guess if you're anticipating the double team, James Johnson is not the worst option to have out there. Yeah, it ended up working out. I don't yeah. think any of us can. I think we can look at Steve Nash and say that was the right call. Yeah, I agree. Um, moving to Paul Millsap, because it looks like that's somebody I think we should jump into today. Uh, 15 minutes, 0-3 from the field, 2-2 from the free throw line, uh, five rebounds, one assist, one steal, one turnover. What would you think of Millsap in this one? I'm excited. I've been, re I've been ready. I saw way too many bench Millsap, like let's get Blake out, uh, back out there, takes on the timeline tonight. <laughs> Whew. I mean, hopefully our, our memory is not that short um, because Millsap. I can confirm that it's definitely that short for Nets Twitter. <laughs> for, for Twitter and for basketball fans in general. You're right. I don't know what I'm expecting. <laughs> but um, first of all, I think the first stint in the, uh, in the first half um, was not as harmful, was not even really bad. Um, if anything, I think he's just kind of out there, average, made some okay plays. Um, the second half is obviously where people had – rightfully had their issues i think we're seeing that the switching is not going to be tenable versus teams that have bona fide primary attackers and you know just quick guards like derrick yep. rose quickly even burks to an extent i mean the worry for me was you can't play him at the four with a guy in drop because then you're asking him to show and recover and make these long closeouts 
And I thought, okay, he's decent in the film I watched of him switching, especially on bigger guys. You know, that'll slow the game down for him, this and that. Um, but again, the switching, I think, is kind of what people were promised. Like, oh, he can he's a valid small ball five in this manner. And he just wasn't, which I think led to some understandable frustration. But as far as, like, the charges that looked very awkward go, I, I kind of expect those to just be one-off sort of things. I mean, he's... He's been he's, a, he's like they're probably a second late on both of them or maybe like a millisecond late just in like the reaction. Right. And he he knows how to take a charge. I mean, that's one of his strong suits, just positional defense. I mean, we yeah. saw it in the first time. He's probably their smartest defender um, in terms of knowing where to be. And, you know, he's had some like moments where he protects the rim this year. And it's not because he's a vertical athlete or anything, but because his positioning is always, always really solid. And the fact that he maybe had some moments of weakness in terms of his defensive positioning tonight. I I would be of the point that that's like not something you got to worry about with him. Um, he created that corner three for James yeah. Johnson. He has a little bit of that James Johnson sort of attribute that I was talking about in that he will create things. He'll put the ball on the floor. He'll get to the rim. It won't always look pretty. But again, that's sort of what this Nets offense has been needing and what he's done a much better job of than Blake so far. So I don't really hate, I didn't hate his performance tonight, to be honest. Um, I think some of the struggles he had were predictable in terms of the switching. And by no means did he have a great game, but I wouldn't hesitate to throw him back out there based on what he did tonight. Yeah, I think sometimes you look at him and it almost feels like a player who doesn't have his legs under him or is just like still rusty. And like even with the drop on like the pass from I think it was James Harden right under the rim where he just like missed it or maybe it actually was KD. And like, oh, yeah. it's just those type of things. It's like, all right, you just need to clean those up, maybe more reps on the floor. And I think, like you said, defensively off ball, he's probably more engaged than anybody else on the team. Maybe yeah. DeAndre Bembry might be more engaged, but it's still, you know, in terms of the bigs, you like what he does. Do you think that he can get any of that, you know, on-ball defense back in terms of being a more reliable option to switch or those days pass? Well, I definitely think that your point about him not having his legs fully under him yet, being yeah. in and out of the lineup, having to tend to family issues, some games he's available and plays six minutes, that has undoubtedly impacted him. And you see it on the plays where he drops the ball yeah. or he gets the offensive rebound, but he misses the easy putback. Um, I think that... It wouldn't be wise to place a lot of hopes and bets mm. on, on him regaining some of that switchability with more time, but it would also be unwise to completely discount that possibility and say, it's never coming back, like, we can't play him. Um, ultimately, I do think you have to stick with him as the small ball five if you're going to play him. I don't really like him on the court with um, LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, maybe him and James Johnson. But the lineups where it's Hims, James Johnson, and Bembry can be a little tough just yeah. with the lack of shooting. Uh, I do still, I'm holding on to the fact that there's a role on this team, and that role should become more apparent should he get more minutes and get his legs back under him. Because we've seen it with James Johnson. We saw it with Blake Griffin last year. We yeah. see it with Aldridge this year. I think it would be wise to just practice some patience with him, especially because we gave Blake a 17-game leash. And yeah, it would be unwise to cut this leash after two games or one game. 
Yeah, I feel, I feel like that's kind of the point right there, too, is like you need to give him a fair opportunity to really, you know, play rotation minutes and see what he can do. Because like you said, he's had a lot of like these short stints or stints that really like it's hard for him to kind of find a groove. And you can even see him out there offensively trying to have a better understanding of like how to play with James Harden. They're two guys yeah. that don't seem like they're very in sync right now, which is fine. Like they're new teammates. You know what I mean? They need time on the floor together. Also, a combo that I think would be interesting would be Paul Millsap and Nick Claxton. Um, obviously, hopefully Clax is back soon, and maybe that's something we could see just because, you know, Millsap can knock down the three, Clax can be the rim roller on offense, and then defensively, Clax is obviously extremely versatile. Yeah, and the thing that I loved probably even more than the switchability from Claxton on defense last year was he had so many plays just being active and help. Yep. Like, I don't know if you, this is a very specific example that I'm just bringing up because I clipped it, but it was in Portland, which I think we all remember as being a huge Clax game last year. Yep. When he shaded CJ McCollum in isolation on the wing, and then CJ gave the ball up, and then Clax ran to the rim and blocked a layup attempt. That synergy, hopefully, between him and Millsap, he can cover for some yep. of Millsap's deficiencies just because you have this like like eight feet of arms out there and springy guy. You know, it's Clax like that youthful energy, too. You can't really replicate that. Right. There's just these intangibles that's hard, sort of hard to quantify, but Millsap and Clax just feels like it makes sense. And then on the offensive end, Millsap can maybe cover for some of Claxton's deficiencies yep. too. Um, and then if you have – the last point I'll make about Millsap is that if you have a guy that you trust to play small ball five minutes in either of them, either Claxton or Millsap, you can mix and match. So if you want a guy, let's say in this situation versus the Knicks, that we need our small ball five to be able to switch on Burks and Rose and quickly, like Millsap's just not cutting it, you can throw Claxton in there. Yep. If you want a small ball five that we need him to be able to do something on the short roll, we need him to be able to cut into space and attack from the perimeter, and the defense is a little bit less important in this particular matchup, we want to throw Millsap out there, which I think is why it's important to get all of these guys comfortable and ready, because while none of them are great or maybe even good players right now, they all have their little niches that could be very useful if they're in rhythm. Yeah, it kind of almost reminds me of like the Raptors when they won the championship and Nick Nurse had all these different options on his roster yeah. where he would just have guys that he could go to. And during the season, he would experiment with a ton of different things. I mean, just like going back to that playoff run, like they played Norman Powell to beat the Bucks, and they didn't even play him at all, I think, in the finals. So it's just like you have like just you want to have as many options as possible. Some of that's going to be forced because of injuries, but other of that, it's just like the coach needs to experiment. But we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I guess we should get to James Harden, who started off this game hot, had a lot of good energy in this one. 34 points, 11 to 20 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3, 9 of 10 from the free throw line, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, 3 steals, 5 turnovers, and a beautiful putback dunk. What would you think of James Harden tonight? I was a little disappointed that in the second half he sort of removed that scoring mindset yeah but that implies that he had it in the first half and he's looking good um i think it's comforting in a way that it seems to be a mindset thing because that at least opens the door for improvement and continued improvement versus it's hard to imagine a 32 year old with the billions of heavy load minutes that he logged in the last eight seasons suddenly just regaining a bunch of burst you know yeah. Um, if it's a mindset thing, you feel like, okay, he can play his way into that. And I think that's what we saw in the first half. I mean, he knows how he played versus the Suns. Uh, he's no fool. He came out and did what, you know, superstars do. In the second half, I was a little disappointed to see some of that come back to him. Yeah. Um, yep. It'd be interesting to see of all the superstars in recent memory the mental of James Harden, and this is no diss, but we've seen him have a few confusing moments throughout his career where you're like, that's not exactly superstar, I'm the best player in the world sort of mentality. Um, So if that's the case, and you can point to, you know, the game seven versus the Spurs and all those sorts of things where he just doesn't look like himself, you could say, all right, it might take this guy a little bit longer to get fully back mentally where that what he did versus the Knicks in the first half turns into him doing it for the whole game. So another step in the right direction, very, very positive overall, um, but we're still not quite there yet, which depending on how you look at it could be a great thing. Yeah, I think you're looking at it from an optimistic perspective. Like you said, like if he can still do it, you just want to see it consistently through an entire game. Like he had 28 and a half. I thought he might drop 50 in this game. Like if he kept the mentality he had in the first quarter throughout the rest of the game, I feel like that would have been an easy 50. And I don't know if it's like some of the defense adjusting to him a little bit, but at the same time, it's just like, do what you were doing that just like level of aggression in which he starts the game, especially like a lot of those attacks and even some of them on the catch, like he was getting some passes from KD and going to the rim. And that's like, I, that's what I really want to see from James Harden. So like you said, like, hopefully it's just a strictly a mentality thing and it's not like anything related to like the workload or whatever, but and I'd love to see just, I'd feel a lot better if I could see like a 45 point Harden game. Yeah. He had two, I think he had two two two-point buckets in the second half that I vividly remember. One was he got Rose on the switch, put it through his legs, and just took him all the way to the cup and finished with the left. And Reggie Miller went, that's just too easy. And the second one, KD drove, the dig came, he threw a bounce pass to Harden, and then immediately off the catch, Harden took it, went, and floated it over Mitch Robinson, the uh, two. And, and that those, was his best looking floater all season. All season. And those were two his only two, I think, two-point buckets in the second half. And yet, they were the two things that we've been begging him to do yep. all year long. 
And so it's like he turned that mentality off, it seems, for the whole half. And yet there were these plays that were like, man, if you could do that all the time, this, as you said, could be a 50 piece. So, yeah, it's what a, just what a crazy confusing guy, <laughs> especially like the Rose bucket. Like it's not even anything really with burst. Like he's just bullying him. Like he's stronger than so many guards in the NBA. And that's kind of been a point that I've talked about with like Jack a lot. Right. He's, just like, why are you not doing this more? Like, you can physically move a lot of guys. Like, you're a big guard, and they just don't have the girth to deal with you. Right. I think last year I made the point a lot that this is not the 2018 Harden who, despite being also stronger than most guards, also has one of the top 5, 10 quickest first steps in the yep. NBA. That Harden is no longer here, but he hasn't been with us, I don't think, for two or three seasons, at least pre-bubble. So yep. from Nets fans' perspective— that's not exactly new. It's more of the, as long as his first step is just good to great rather than historic, once he has a guy on his hip or his side, this dude is just so big and strong in the chest and shoulder yep. region that it just does not matter. A guy like Rose just bounces off of him. Yeah, especially when it's a guy who's not a good defender, too. Like, some other guys might try to fight back into play and get positioning, but, like, there are certain times where you just want James to, like, go at whoever it is and just get the bucket or get to the free throw line. And, like, we'll see how it goes kind of moving forward. I mean, the yeah. next big matchup probably would be the Bulls on Saturday, maybe see how he reacts in that game because it's also the second night of a back-to-back, -back, which I think is interesting, too, for Harden just based off of conditioning, hamstring, age, and all those different factors. It'll be interesting to see, you know, Caruso, Lonzo, guys that are definitely quicker and sprier, but not yep. quite big if that first step matters. And, you know, if he goes to the post up a little more mid-range, whatever it is. I just wanted to say, speaking of the Harden-Millsap combo, that obviously has not looked great. Um, and there's a lot of other factors that go into this. Millsap with Harden on the court, the Nets are 10 points up in terms of net rating in 105 minutes. And with Harden, and that's before tonight, I think. And with Harden off the court, the Nets are five points down with Millsap. And both of the offense, offensive numbers and the defensive numbers jump. So definitely something to look out for. Yeah, I, de I mean, like, honestly, if I thought about it from the eye test, if you asked me, I thought maybe it'd be okay just because James Harden's on the floor. But at the end of the day, like, I wouldn't think it was that 15, solid. Yeah, it's yeah. a 50-point difference. With, and both have, you know, fairly sizable minute samples. Um, it's about 50-50 in terms of Millsap has played almost 200 minutes, which, again, is nothing, and yep. each are about 100 minutes of, of sample size. So, again, all of this, Harden looked great, and it, he could look even better, and I want to see Millsap more, I think, is are the, are the takeaways. Yeah, and I think, like we said with the Millsap stuff, some of it is just like him being truly rusty and missing layups and shots that he could typically hate uh, make. And then also I think he's been a little bit hesitant with his three-point shot too. More minutes, more comfortable scoring the basketball. You might see him. I think like tonight he turned down like a wide open look or yeah. two. It's just he like did. we need you to take at least one of those. We Yeah, if you're wide open, we need that to be a shot, even if it ends up – even if you end up taking four or five. I yeah. mean – Millsap going one of four from three, two of five, you know, that's yep. it's one three. It's a difference between like 25 and 40%. Even if you go one of five, one of four, it's not the worst thing in the world. Especially so. if the defense starts to give you the attention. You know what I mean? That's really what it is. So moving over to Kevin Durant, 27 points, nine of 23 from the field, 0 of five from three, nine and nine from the free throw line, five rebounds, nine assists, one block, one turnover. KD's not his best game, but he came up clutch for the Nets at the end of the game when it mattered. Not his best game, but I think I saw on Twitter, how many points did he end up with? 
Uh, 27, which feels crazy. He ended. That means that he had uh, 21 points in the second half on, I think, about 50% shooting. I think I saw he was 7 of 13, 7 of 14 um, in the second half. And again, yep. it didn't feel like it was his best game. Which he, even I think defensively it, in this game, he wasn't his best game either. It wasn't his best game either. There are moments where, and this has kind of always been the thing with KD, where aside from that first year in Golden State, it's like, this guy could be all defense if he really locked in and focused off the ball. Yep. And there are some moments where he's just asleep for half a second and it's like, oh shit, I got to help. Or, oh man, I got to get around the screen. But again, in isolation, he's impossible to score on. Yep. So even on and his I, back defensive games, he still provides some value. Yeah, even just like the closeouts for him are just so deadly. Like, because his length is just there. But like you said, I think tonight that's what I saw the most is like you see it occasionally during the season, during games. It, it just happened more frequently, I feel like tonight, where he was just one step behind on the help or one step behind on the rotation he needed to make. And it yeah. happens. He's not a perfect player. So, but he, you know, for an okay game for Kevin Durant is still 27 points and right. including big buckets. Yeah, and that's the difference. When he's locked in, I think I forget what game it was, but he had those two blocks and the big blocks in the second half. When he's locked in, and he's like just a force on both yep. ends. And he's not. He's just kind of there on defense and maybe not meeting up to your expectations. But offensively, uh, I forget who tweeted this. I think it was I think it was Sir Wavy. He's not always doesn't always answer when you call, but he's always on time. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. There. I mean, it, you, there's the fact that he can elevate so easily for that mid-range shot means your worst crunch time offense is really not that bad. Yep. It real and on a night where he was just a hair off on a lot of his shots, like a lot of the shots he missed in the first half of this game, it was just like rimmed out mid-ranger or you know hit the side of the rim or something like that. And then it's like, okay, now it's like the fourth quarter. We need these buckets, and it's just like straight money. It, it's really incredible. It's incredible, and it's you know Reggie Miller. Maybe not is one of the more repetitive guys, <laughs> but he's damn right when he says this is why you don't worry about KD getting cold in the first half. Um, it doesn't throw him off his game because he can get the shot he wants whenever he wants. And yeah, you know, like you said, he missed shots that he normally makes, you know, the little baseline pull up, whatever. He probably missed a few of those tonight, the, the 12, 13 footers. It was nice to see him, though, when those some of those shots didn't go down really try to force his way to the rim on a couple of late possessions. Try to that get a couple of posters. A couple of posters. That was the worry post-Achilles, that like yeah. he's not going to really explode off that leg and be comfortable like going up in traffic. But when the shot wasn't falling tonight, he made a concerted effort to get to the line. So the worst K – not the worst KD game, but the, the subpar KD game is still a damn great game. Yeah, and also shout out to Reggie Miller for whatever he said to James Harden to just get him going because whatever he said definitely helped. And on the other point, on the James Harden and that putback dunk, that's probably like maybe his best dunk as a net or like top five in terms of just like actually like doing something above the rim. Definitely. I mean, it's he just looked spry and like those type of dunks are, you know, obviously easier. You get the full run up. You don't have yep. the ball in your hand. Uh, Blake Griffin had one of those last year, right? I think versus the Bucks or something where he just flew in and put it back with two hands, but more than, more than even how spry he looked on that dunk, which was definitely top five as a net, um, was just the moment for him. I mean, he just like, it just stuff like that. Happy. Yeah. It, it, it's important. I think, yep. you know, I don't think you can discount the importance of something like that. Him realizing like, this is my time. Like, I'm, I'm that guy and it feels good. Yep. So it was nice to see some of that pressure that 
I'm sure he's been feeling maybe off of his shoulders for a couple seconds. Yeah, I agree. I think like just sometimes with like team morale and just energy, especially him being one of the leaders of the team where you see him get so excited, especially during a season where I think he's had a lot of frustration. But moving on from the superstars, DeAndre Bembry, uh, six points in this one, three at three from the field, oh, zero three-point attempts, oh, at two from the free throw line, five rebounds, three assists, one steal, one block. You know, take a typical Bembry game, just a lot of really good defense in this one. There weren't as many wide open cuts as normal, but still does a good job out there. Yep, and he's still their best transition uh, offensive player, which yep. is really important. Where, as we know, the half-court offense can get bogged down. The one where Harden um, found him for the alley-oop and transition. Yep. Like, not to brag, but I saw it. You know, the whole you just see it happen so early. You see him take off down the down the sideline. You know, on in his own free throw line. You see Harden start to survey the floor and like look at him, and you just know what's going to happen. And that's a great way to take advantage of. Harden, who still always one of the three, five best open court passers in the NBA. And Bembry just beating everyone down the floor and an athletic guy. We've seen it a bunch this year. He really adds a lot to their offense in transition. And sometimes we, I think, can discount that importance, you know, when we're talking about, oh, this is his offensive game. We kind of put that in a in the half court box. We just think of his half court attributes, but yep. So many times this year, he's impacted the game running in transition, and that play really just stood out to me tonight. He's always in transition. Like he's one. There's a fast break. There's a good chance that Bembry's part of it. And another thing he does, you you said like running down the sideline. And what I envision in my head is like if he's not catching the oop, Harden throwing that over the head bounce pass to him. Like you know what I mean? Like in between two yeah. defenders, and he's getting that easy layup. So like I love it. And that Euro step he had in transition tonight was really nice too. Like you feel pretty confident with him attacking a lot of guys. Occasionally he'll get out of control, but that's okay because you want that. And one thing he does too is like he'll set up some of those semi transition opportunities. You know what I mean? Now the defense is and set they don't get the matchup they want exactly he runs down the floor someone has to cover him near the rim and it creates a mismatch elsewhere i mean yep. i think it's a lot of what we saw with with bruce brown because a lot of these things we could i have said about bruce brown yep. running transition and we've seen that a bunch but bembry is probably is a is a marginally and like impactfully better finisher around the rim than bruce brown just a little bit more fluid I think a little bit bigger too gets a better athlete game. too. I think like he's just faster yeah. and he just has a better vert. Like he can get up and just kind of hang in the air a little bit where Bruce Brown's like his finishing around the rim is very floater centric. It's very floater centric. And when it's not, it's very, it's very monotonous. It's not much of a left hand. It's a very yep. specific angle, you know, righty scoop layup. And he doesn't have a lot of ways to set it up either. Whereas Bembry again, you know, sometimes he gets a little out of control but Bembry can spin into it. He can Euro yeah. into it. He can, you know, muscle you if you're a smaller defender. And that extra 10, 15% of ability and athletic, you know, physical traits really does make a world of difference, you know, at that high of a level. Yeah, and I think it also makes an impact too on like the cuts. Like Bruce Brown sometimes has to stop where Bembry feels more confident just like getting all the way to the rim. We didn't see that tonight, but we've seen in other games where he'll just like take the open space and go. Exactly. How many times this year have we seen Bembry and Patty Mills on one side of the floor and a Bembry cut either results in an open Patty Mills three yep. or Patty Mills gravity? You know, the defense can't commit all the way to Bembry. And so Bembry gets a layup. Yep. It's, that is a very nice Bembry just complements all the shooting on this team really well. 
And he looks so much better. And uh, we've said this on other pods is like when he's out there with Patty Harden, KD and LaMarcus, now you have the four shooters or the four offensive threats. And now he can kind of roam. Cause even like, obviously they lost that Suns game, but the Suns literally just didn't guard him on a lot of possessions. And he was just kind of gliding to the rim. Yeah. He ended up with like 20 and 10 almost. I mean, yeah. it's, one, it's the thing you said about James Johnson. A lot of it isn't quantifiable when you talk about his attribute is this, 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 and this, but he just makes those basketball plays where He's not the greatest offensive rebounder in the world, but if there's an opportunity to sneak behind someone and grab it at a pivotal moment in the game, you trust him to do it. You know, yeah. they're, if they're not if they're not switching, but something happens and and he has to make an emergency switch, then he can do that. You know, just the little things that I know very big cliche, but you know that don't show up in the box score or that you don't really think about when it's time to write the final headline. But Bembry is another one of those guys for sure. He's just a guy that, like, if there's a hustle play, like, I want him to be the guy that's making the hustle play. Like, if there's a loose ball on the floor or you're fighting for a rebound or whatever it is, like, he's just a guy that has that extra edge to him. But uh, moving over to LaMarcus Aldridge, eight points, four of ten from the field, four rebounds, one assist, three blocks. Not uh, Mid-ranger was a little bit off in this one, you know, missed a couple easy ones in this game, but eventually it was going to kind of come to come to balance out. Yeah, he missed a few of those, I think, in the first half and early second half. But then he had a, a huge one. I think they were down three in the fourth quarter yep. uh, from the top of the key. Uh, you know, that's part of being consistent for sure. I think some of the some of the defensive concerns kind of showed up today where yep. it's like he's not that rim protector that unless he has an angle, has the ball handler walled off, he can't really be trusted to slide over and get up there with the other team's best athletes like his positioning will generally be solid his hands are honestly pretty impressive like targeting the ball getting deflections but again he's not flying above the rim to save the nets on some possessions where they need to be saved and it's hard to really blame him for that because we all sort of knew what the deal was and i think his defense has overall been better than expected this year but it's just hard when they're, especially without Claxton, it's hard to do the switching because Millsap is getting cooked. And it's hard to really go back to Aldridge because you're not reaping all the benefits of the more immobile, slower big. Um, and some of that showed up when you have guys like Mitchell Robinson and Obi Toppin and guys that just get above the rim and get really physical, even like Randall. Yep. The defense is just, it's not bad or anything, but it's not impactful. And that, in itself kind of hurts the Nets. I think that's a perfect way to describe it is it's not impactful because there is a couple possessions where he's like right there for Julius Randle, but Julius Randle, Randle just finished over him like it was nothing. And they went to that play, uh, I want to say in the second half, like two or three straight possessions where it was just like right at him. And like, what do we expect? He's 36 years old. Like he's doing a pretty good job. He had a couple blocks in this game. It's just like, you have to understand the limitations and obviously that's going to be a limitation for him. And it's going to be a limitation probably when it comes to the postseason. but for the regular season, they should be able to survive against a lot of these teams. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even then they, they survived mostly tonight. Obviously there were many possessions where that showed up. There was also, you know, he forced a few missed shots, a couple turnovers. And generally I don't think you could look at the night and say he had a bad or poor defensive game. Um, you know, it's not like there are mistakes to pick out, but yeah. And I feel like in the fourth quarter, he picked up his energy and activity on the boards. He didn't necessarily grab a ton of boards, but he was fighting for those offensive boards, just trying to kind of make an impact in the game. And I think you always, you know, appreciate that. And 
he, he's an older guy. So like, I don't even know if 32 minutes is probably maybe too much for him at this point. We'd probably love to get those down when Claxton's back. Yeah, he that's he definitely can't be playing 32 minutes a night uh, throughout the regular season. More of Johnson at the small ball five will help. Yep. More of Millsap, I think, as a as a sole big will help. Claxton coming back will help that. But that's also a good point about the boards. Um, I thought he did a great job on the boards. And one of the biggest possessions of the night was when I forget who airballed the corner three, but he boxed out Mitchell Robinson and the ball went off Mitchell Robinson for the offensive rebound for the Nets. And then they scored on that possession to retake the lead by one. So again, like that. I think it was a KD driving left and he kind of faded away and airballed it. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about, but that's what I'm saying. Like LaMarcus was fighting on those possessions. That doesn't happen. He had really good position. Like Mitchell Robinson had a reach over his shoulder and kind of tipped the ball out of bounds. So LaMarcus, a veteran out there. And I think ideally you'd love to get him to like 24 minutes and then rest him some games. And that's the luxury of having Blake Griffin. Like Blake doesn't need to play every game, but if you want to rest somebody, you could always throw him out there. But moving over to another expert, Patty Mills, 10 points, 4 or 12 from the field, 2 or 10 from 3, 2 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal. Patty cooled off a little bit from three, but again, probably expected he wasn't going to shoot, you know, 50% the entire year. Yeah, it hurts when he goes two for 10 instead of, you know, maybe even like two for eight or four for or three for 10, something like that. Because yeah. a few moments in this game where you go, oh, Patty, that was a big shot. You really wish you could have hit that. But again, um, he was in all the right spots defensively, I thought. Um, he makes the extra pass. It's He's not a burden to have out there. And again, you get the residual effect, even if he's missing threes, of just guys running to close out to him and code red when he has the ball on the perimeter. I mean, he's one. There are not a ton of guys that are truly code red in the NBA. Like, abandon everything of what you're doing, fly out to them to run them off the line. But he's definitely one of them. And yep. The left-hand finish, I mean. That was crazy. <laughs> he, had two, he had two finishes at the rim today, which kind of displays something that I've been talking about all year. It's like, I see him do this for Australia. He's a bet, he, he can attack the rim at least a little bit and apply some rim pressure. And I just think sometimes he settles too immediately for those, like, 18-footers. Whereas when he attacks the rim, he's, like, clearly a talented guy. You know, this isn't just a guy that pure shooter, can't put the ball on the floor, can't finish. I mean, you don't score 40 points or whatever at any level of basketball, Olympic, NBA, or otherwise, if you can't, if you don't have some touch around the rim. Yep. Um, that one play on Mitchell Robinson, he, he likes that. I, I, I saw from the international play, that two-foot stop, shield the guy off and throw up a reverse. Yep. Uh, it'd be nice to see him on nights where he's two of 10 from three, take the ball to the rim a little more off the closeouts. But again, a winning play you know, to say the least. And I think we can all count on Patty to make those winning plays at this point. So even though two of 10 from three, overall, I think a very typical Patty game in that this is kind of what you'll live with. He's going to go two of 10 some nights, but it doesn't mean that he's unplayable. Yeah, he's going to make other impacts in the game. And he was one of the big reasons they had that early third quarter run. Like he hit the, those were his two made threes. He was also playing good defense, being active in the passing lanes and stuff. So like you said, I've always kind of wondered why he doesn't drive more. Like, I, I don't know if it's just like maybe a fear thing, but it's funny. It's like one of his best finishes is over one of the best shot blockers in the NBA, Mitchell Robinson. It's like you could do this against smaller guys and probably have some success. And I think the Nets offense could really use it because one guy who I think eats on closeouts has been Cam Thomas. Yep, Cam Thomas. I mean, that's 
that's a, I, I had a, a thread on him another day and I let off with like, this is why above all else you want him to get yep. minutes because he, him attacking closeouts, he might be the best net like right now, like better than Harden doesn't really do it a, a ton. KD just shoots over guys. It might be Cam Thomas. And so the thing with Patty is it's like, it's not even like I see him have bad finishes at the rim or he looks bad doing it. It's more like he just opts out of it by taking the 16 footers or, or by not looking at the rim at all. So it'd be, it'd be nice. Maybe, maybe Cam can take him to school. A little bit. <laughs> even just like a little bit, like he has, must have some like other things in his bag. Obviously I don't watch team Australia. If Jack was here, he could give us the full scouting report, but you kind of wish that he would just unlock a little bit more. And it was a feeling in the off season that that was going to be the case for Patty Mills. Like, Oh, I want to come to Brooklyn. I want to play basketball freely. So you thought maybe it would just be kind of more organic type stuff. And there's still time for that to happen. But I guess let's move over to Cam Thomas, 12 points, 20 minutes tonight, five and nine from the field, two of four from three, one rebound, two assists, one steal camps in the rotation. He's getting minutes and he's having an impact. Cam's in the rotation because he has to be in the rotation yep. at this point. I mean, his ball handling and just, again, it's, it's, it's a recurring theme with every net we talk about from, from Johnson and Millsap to whoever. He can do things with the ball and specifically attacking closeouts. I mean, he just has all this juice, these young legs, which the Nets really need. Um, and again, it's ne- it was never the on-ball defense that was really concerning. Like, yeah, he's a rookie. Some guys will beat him. But for guys like that, it's never like, oh, he can't guard the ball. You know, he's yep. he's a competitor. He's interested in it. He's six four. He's you know he's six four. He's a decent he's, strength too. Yeah, he's built. I was gonna say, he's not like one of yeah. He he's built in the chest area. His stocky legs can kind of dig in. It's some of the off ball stuff, which you know it wasn't wasn't terrible today. But um, he'll have those rookie moments where he helped off with Fournier in the corner. Yep, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. In the strong side corner, when I think Bruce Brown had the situation completely under control, and that cut to lead, cut the lead to seven, and that felt like the turning point after the 14-0 run. Um, but again, I don't want to harp on things like that when I've given. I think know, Bruce Brown made the same mistake the next play after Cam Thomas, and they got another three. So that exactly. that, that was a frustrating stretch right there. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to pick on Cam, and and especially Millsap didn't have a great game, and I'm out here, you know, defending him <laughs> to play more. Um, don't want to hate on Cam at all because he does take, you know, those threes. He takes the shots. He's taking the catch and shoot threes, which I think yep. is big, because the worry a little bit for me was, is he going to slow down the ball in transition, you know, or or in half court when the ball is moving around? Is he gonna? Is it going to stick in his hands and he's going to try to ISO everybody? No, hasn't been the case. He has that great touch from the floater range, which we saw today. He's taking the catch and shoot threes. He's attacking closeouts. He's playing how you want him to offensively. And that is why he's getting these minutes that he's deserved. You know, he's we knew the reputation he had in the draft in summer league. He's not playing cam ball. He's not just isoing and pounding the ball into the floor. He's actually being effective as, you know, just another cog in the machine. And it's really nice to see. And therefore, he will continue to get and deserve these minutes. So Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much superstar mentality to role player mentality. And he's adjusted really well. And like you said, I think that was a concern for a lot of people was the ball stopping, the decision making. And he's done a pretty good job. Like you said, I think the off ball stuff, he gets confused when they're making like multiple rotations off ball sometimes or when someone's trying to like switch for him. Like when he gets Julius Randle on him and Katie's like, yo, I got you. 
and he gets confused at like who is he supposed to go to you know what i mean and then he'll be like a second late it's just not a lot of and this and i don't want to be too strong with this word you but people would call it feel like things that you can't really teach it's like do you help off the strong side corner you know a little bit do you dig sure you dig but in that situation it's like hey bruce has got it under control you have a shooter the momentum is starting to turn you can't give up a catch and shoot three there and he just and he does so it's those sort of things where it's like he's trying to do it by the book he's maybe overthinking it or he's confused and he's not just letting the game sort of come to him and making the natural rotations but again he's a rookie and i you could probably say that out of the 30 first round picks i'm assuming about 24 of them so far so at least so that's the sort of thing that gets better with time more nba experience um it might be he is an uphill road to climb for sure it might take him a minute but it's nothing that'll keep him out of the rotation for now which was my worry it's like is it just going to be untenable you know is he not scoring enough where everything else hurts you but hasn't been the case nets need him to put the ball in the bucket and so you live with that sort of stuff yeah and i think also i'd say like there's been enough plus defensive plays where you're like wow like that was actually pretty good i didn't expect that from cam thomas in his rookie year so and like you said they desperately need the scoring they need the ball handling and then i think as he plays more they'll allow him to probably do a little bit more on his own just to ease the workload off kd and harden because you just don't want that all season long yeah and the fact that there's no rim roller uh yep there's even less of an incentive to give him more complicated ball handling duties because there's not really there's nothing to help him out you know there's not the easy read to throw it up to the rim um and yeah no i don't want to discount the importance of on-ball defense i think a lot of times the nba community can do that where we're just like hey he can guard the ball but like can he like nah cam thomas can keep guys in front and that is valuable you know even if he's not like an all-star doing it you know even if he might be clawing to get to the 50th percentile in on-ball defense he can still guard the ball and those plays matter so long as you can be okay and you're not like a complete you know just like like you said before tissue paper (laughs) like just you know someone who just like can't do anything out there i think like they can find a way to make it work on defense i mean james harden's been on some really good defenses and he only plays like half of the possessions on that end so um (laughs) moving over to bruce brown six points tonight for bruce um Three at three from the field, three rebounds. Bruce, to me, just looks a, a little rusty. Like, he just doesn't look fully back into, like, the groove. No, I mean, he was playing truly at, at you could make arguments for, like, again, so early. But he was playing, like, an all-defensive guard in the beginning of the season. Just, like, ferocious. The new, you know, contact rules were really helping him out. He was just getting into guys. And he was a monster out there. And, you know, that wasn't the case today. He wasn't, you didn't really feel him as much as you normally do um but again he's coming back from injury it's the first first time he's really had that i think since he got inserted into the rotation last year if i'm not mistaken other than the the nose the the face bruce era but he you know will be okay and the less spacing lineups and and when bembry's already providing it it's a little bit harder for him to have that impact as like the roamer especially when he's a not paired with harden the whole game and b Harden's not really himself. So, again, you the defensive the defensive acumen, even when he's not 100%, still shows up, still matters. So, kind of the game you'd expect from Bruce with everything going on. When he when you don't feel him, it's really like he's just kind of there. 
yeah. uh, more so than other guys because of the way that he plays and the, the sort of intensity that he brings to the game. I feel like he could also be a guy that's getting hurt by the roster and like the injuries and the lack of spacers because like he's he's in a lineup with James Harden, but now he's in a lineup with James Harden, James Johnson, and Paul Millsap. And there's not really much spacing for him to kind of operate. And then you got Millsap and then you got Johnson. They're all trying to set screens for Harden, trying to be in that spot. And then it's just like, just doesn't seem like he's getting a good groove. And it, I feel like it could be a little tougher for him to find, you know, those spots just given the roster this year and how things have been with like the lack of spacing. And it, it's going to be interesting if Nash goes to put Brown back in the starting lineup or he just goes with Bembry, because I feel like I personally stick with Bembry at this point, just based off of what he's done and how he's fit offensively a little bit better. Yeah, I think I stick with Bembry at this point too, just because he has, he can do a little bit more with the ball in his hands and he, he, he might be just as good of a defender. I mean, they're both really excellent on that end. And uh, you need a little bit more of what Bembry can bring just in terms of being that connective tissue. But yep. again, last year when Bruce came on the scene and everyone was like, what, like, what is this? He, he, he was starting that Golden State Warriors game, which was really yep. like his national TV breakout game is the big three, Joe Harris and him. Yeah. It's, it's a law. It's a far cry from that this year. So you can't really blame him for having a little bit less of that offensive impact this year. It's a ton more floaters, tough floaters, and a lot less open dunks. Yeah, it's been definitely been more guys like at the rim and he has to hit that high floater or whatever it is. And obviously, like you just mentioned the lineup he's playing with. He was playing with Kyrie, Harden, Katie, and Joe Harris. No one really cares about Bruce Brown when those other four guys are on the floor. Like you're going to be the guy that gets the open dunks, gets the open shots. Now when there's somebody else on the floor that they don't really care about, now Bruce Brown just moved up the pecking order. Yep, and defenses are ready for it now. Yep. More so than they were last year. Anybody else you want to talk talk about? I mean, Javon Carter played a few minutes. Not really much to say on that. It was less than three. So anybody else, any other points you want to hit on, Lucas? Um, I think that's all. I think uh, this it's it's a it's a it's an it's just a hard team to really get a, a a grip on even though i feel like you know we all know what the issues are we know what it is but you know there are some those moments during the Knicks game where it's like wow like they they're cooking the, the defense is leading to offense they look amazing and then you have these moments of lull especially uh with you know when the superstars don't look like superstars um so all in all, a very typical Nets game that really featured all sides of the spectrum. And I will say, there have been some great Nets-Knicks moments on this side of town recently. You got the Randall explosion last year yep. and his son crying on the way out of the <laughs> arena. You had the Kyrie going crazy in his, like, fifth game at Barclays, you know, yep. a couple years ago. So they just took the all-time season series lead. So it's... Uh, 102-101 now? 102-101, 107-106 if you include the playoffs. You should. I mean, it's important. And I feel like we've been lucky given our age group. We've pretty much watched the Nets dominate that series for the last 20 years. So, And I think just kind of getting back to your point of what we saw in the Nets in this game, like the third quarter summarizes the season a lot for me just because yeah. like you saw the beginning stretch in that third quarter where you're just like, God damn, like this team is mad code. Like they could they could blow this Knicks team out in this quarter and the game could be over. But then all of a sudden they have these lapses. They let the Knicks back in the game. They end up winning the quarter. But at the end of the day, it's just like you could have won that quarter by double digits easy. Mm -hmm. So That's we'll see how it goes. It's the sort of thing they would do last year, you feel like. Like yeah. once, once the ball gets rolling downhill, it's just going to flatten the opponent. Whereas now 
the opponent can actually stop the momentum. And I think some of that is based on the roster where you take the starters out and all of a sudden there's no Kyrie out there. You don't have two or three stars out there, so on and so forth. Yep. And obviously Joe Harris still being out. We got the news on him. He's going to have ankle surgery, be out 48 weeks. Given the Nets, I'd probably put it closer to like six to nine weeks until we see Joe Harris. So any yeah. thoughts on Joe being out, Lucas? It's good. You know, the ankle, it's, it's, the ankle's going to be fine. I yep. mean, in terms of. It's not of like his... he's a guy that depends on athletic pop either. No. And especially the sort of, uh, the sort of, um, the sort of surgery that it is cleaning up like some of those loose bodies down there. Like it's, it's a way to make sure that, you know, the sprained ankles that we all know and love really are like good and they go away. I yep. mean, the other thing about it is for a shooter like him, he's going to be able to shoot really from three weeks on, like two or three weeks on, you know, he can do the light jogging, you know, it's just going to be those final explosive movements. But because of the type of surgery it is, you feel like he'll still be shooting the pill real well when he comes back. Yep. And obviously the Nets could use that, but at the same time, it allows them to possibly unlock and experiment with some different things on the roster and really develop Cam Thomas, which I think could be important further down the line. But Lucas, always a pleasure. Big thanks everybody for listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.